Three, two, one, go. Hey, it's Bipster and the Ginger Podcast. It has been the longest break since between podcasts, and I apologize. Life has been crazy around here, um, but we're back. We're going to be doing a bunch of episodes this week, so stay tuned. We're doing something that is insane today. I have Dennis Karenik. Did I say that right? Right? Yeah. Denise Denise. Karenik. Oh, my gosh. Why did I say? Why did I say? Ah. Oh. All right, folks. See, this okay. is when it's been a month. I am super <laughs> month. Denise, um, you just broke the world record for the fastest bicycle at 184 mile an hour. We're gonna get into that. Give us a quick bio and what it kind of you know a little bit of your backstory on that. Okay, well, um, I I raced bicycles when I was a kid. Actually, ironically, my coach John Howard, who is also a 1985 record uh, holder of the same record, um, met him by actually drafting behind him when I was 14 years old on a training ride, and he went whizzing by, and I saw basically a free ride <laughs> by drafting his wheel. And but I eight um, eight miles later, he was introducing himself, and then he met my my dad and said, "Hey, you got to get this girl on a bike racing." And month later got on a bike got on a uh, racing bike and did my first race and won so I was totally hooked so I did mm-hmm. about five or six years from 14 through 19 years old of uh, bicycle racing accomplished 13 national championships was twice on the podium at worlds um, one of those was a silver medal in um, Italy for downhill mountain bike racing as a junior um, then I sort of just hung it up and uh, did the family thing and mm-hmm. the career thing for about 20 years um, and then was inspired yet again through my coach to get back on the bicycle because I went to him to coach my middle son for running 19 half marathons in one year, a little overachieving in the family here. Yeah, Um, (laughs) And uh, so he, he actually encouraged me to get back on the bike to uh, now at basically 40 years old to get back on the bike and do this charity ride. And went and did this charity ride and he saw there was a spark still there that he had seen in me when I was a junior, when Mm -hmm. I was racing and doing really well. And, and he approached and he was again, that catalyst and said, you realize no woman has ever done this land speed record and the paced bicycle land speed record. And instantly I went, Oh my gosh, that is the coolest goal to set said yes immediately that I was going to do it, of course, with having him as a mentor, um, and then got back into racing again in preparation, won a couple more national championships, which he thought I could win, and I had no belief that I could, but <laughs> that spark that he saw in me was still there, and so we did that. In 2016, we ended up setting the women's land speed record of 147 miles an hour, and that was yet not enough because we knew we had more speed in us with our teammate, uh, Shay Holbrook, mm-hmm. um, which is a race car driving race car driver and then came back in 2018 and took that overall record by 17 miles per hour Jeez. from the previous record holder which held for 23 years wow so it's not so that's a little bit of brief bio yeah that's a there's a <laughs> and lot. I'm a mom of three and run a security company but that's you know oh, that's, that's all the, the other stuff that's the that's the side yeah so about how does this so if somebody you know they're, they're listening and they're like 147 break like how do you how do you go that fast? I mean, obviously you're not, it's, you're on the salt flats. It's not like you're going down. You're not like you're like, you know, going on top of Mount Everest and just trying to ride down the hill that fast. Yeah. Um, how does, how, how do you approach doing that? Like, what's the technique for that, that they consider it? Well, the, the key element is that it is a motor paced record. Okay. So it's paced. I am being paced 
by a motorized vehicle of some form in front of me that's breaking the wind for me because that's a huge thing that you have to push against is the mm-hmm. wind when you're riding mm-hmm. and so it's breaking the wind and by it breaking the wind uh, also creates this pocket of air that actually almost pulls you along in fact it does there's a push at the back end of this pocket of air as it swirls around and sort of pushes you forward okay so i'm surfing that pocket of air is sort of the best way I've been able to describe that. And so it is a completely flat um, course. And I do have to be towed up to about mile marker one to one and a half of this five mile long course in order before I can be released and surf the pocket of air because the bicycle is a single gear bicycle. Okay. Um, And so it's like having a vehicle with only overdrive. You're Mm -hmm. not leaving the parking lot with overdrive if you start the engine. So. So it's, I mean, it's, but it's being, it's kind of cool because most of the other salt flat vehicles, because I know you, you, you broke it at the salt flats, um, correct? Yes. Um, most of those yes, have to get a push start. So it's kind of like in the same kind of thought process as, you know, the, the race cars you have, instead of getting a push start, you get kind of a pull start up to that speed. Yep. And then, you know, so what kind of a vehicle are you getting behind? I mean, obviously at those kind of speeds, it's not like, you know, someone pops the trunk on like the Camry and, you know, you get behind it. <laughs> yes. Someone took their minivan, just put the you know the rear hatch up, and I'm drafting behind it. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that could work for a lot lower speed records, but mm-hmm. not at this speed. So in 2016, we had a wonderful uh, corporate sponsor, which was through our local Range Rover dealer, okay. um, the Hoens. So they provided a Range Rover SBR, which is like their total top end Range Rover that go 162 miles an hour, literally oh. off the lot. Um, it's the twin turbo, 550 horsepower um, Range Rover, and then we built a fairing on that or we built this the paneling in the back for for lack of better words okay um that created that pocket of air for me um so that worked well it actually had a max speed of 175 miles an hour Mm -hmm. um but we only were able to achieve through learning how to work with the driver and myself being able to push our own limits together we only were able to achieve Mm 147.7 and um and we lost the last day of that four-day event back in 2016 due to rain. Okay. And we had just unleashed or unlocked sort of that magical um, synchronicity between um, Shea Holbrook and myself to be mm-hmm. able to push it, which we felt much more. And that's where the goal set was basically created mm-hmm. is we got so frustrated. We came back for that last day, and we knew we left so much speed on the salt. When the rains had hit and canceled the last day, we said, mm-hmm. oh, screw this. We're coming back, and yeah. we're, we're setting the overall record. And we didn't know it was going to end up taking two years to get back out there. Mm-hmm. But we ended up doing that behind a um, the vehicle. The Range Rover is no longer available. So now we used Fred Rompelberg's rail dragster with a okay. fairing that was custom made for him. He's the one who had the 1995 record that I broke. Okay. So I got to beat Fred's record with Fred's car, <laughs> which was pretty cool to be able to do, but it's yeah. a converted rail dragster with a, um, a big, yeah. yeah, well, he had purchased the vehicle. Well, actually it's a bit of a longer story with him. Okay. It goes into the whole, the, the, um, the danger element of this is uh, my coach had had the 85 record at 152.2 miles per hour. Fred had come out three years later to go ahead and break John Howard's records. That would have been 1988. Mm-hmm. He actually ended up crashing because the vehicle that he had used, and I don't have all the details. All I know is he had a different vehicle and he had a, other things that were going on with him. 
it resulted in him crashing. Ooh. And then it took him seven years to be able to get the funds mm-hmm. and to come back physically yeah. and to have the sponsorship and the new vehicle. So that's where he spent those that time till 1995 to purchase this 1994 um, rail dragster that was being used as a dragster and recommission it specifically for his record. Okay, okay. And that's what he did in 1995. Okay. And how do you... You know, I mean, obviously the salt flats, I mean, there's a season when like all the racing happens out there, but do you train beforehand with the dragster or is it kind of like you kind of both, you and the driver know what's going on? Is it like you go to drag strips and try and, I mean, how does all the, I mean, how's the training up to the event happen? Yeah, there is really no way to emulate perfectly with the vehicle. There's no way of doing any, any, any training with the vehicle because the vehicle's not um, street worthy. It's, yeah. It has, and we, we'd have to. I'd have to be able to have a mile and a quarter of perfectly flat land before I could even be released to be mm-hmm. able to then do any training. So the only place to do it is Bonneville, and frankly, this this particular one with the dragster was only my third time behind the dragster oh, wow. that I ended up doing this record. And that that was really possible because I used the same race car driver, Shay Holbrook, mm-hmm. who in, in 2016, we had 17 total runs, 10 okay. prior to the event, just a few days prior. And then the seven during the actual three days of the four day event. So, um, we built upon that trust and that, um, just that synergy that we had together to be able to push it to the next level. But mm-hmm. I just, my training was based off of preparation for the physical output that I knew that would be necessary, but it had to be in, in a, in a land based, you know, behind a motorcycle, not behind a dragster type yeah. of setting. Yeah. That's so that's basically makes that little bit of time so much more important than when it's basically no train, which is also makes it nuts that on your third pass, you went 184. Um, what's, <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about the bike a little bit, because obviously, again, you know, you talk about it's a single speed. It's a, I mean, it has to be, and you're not just going and buying like a Huffy. Uh, who built, I mean, like, how'd you get the bike? What, what kind of, how's that kind of work? I mean, I'm kind of a gearhead, so I kind of, I saw some of it that it's like double geared and all of that, yes. but kind of talk a little bit about the stats on how that all works. Sure. Um, well, KHS is our sponsor as far as the uh, the bicycle goes okay. and had been from the very beginning. And, of course, they're not going to have the wherewithal. It wouldn't make financial sense for them to outsource it to, in their factories because they're doing mass production. So they worked with one of our local carbon fiber fabricators here and sponsored the very customized build of this bicycle, mm-hmm. which has an elongated wheelbase. It's about a seven-foot-long bicycle. Okay. Um, and the tires and the wheels are... Seven, they're 17 inch wheels, mm-hmm. which if you look at a normal bicycle, they're 20, you know, 26 inch wheels. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the difference allows a lower center of gravity for, uh, for stability. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, um, the double reduction gearing allows me to have an enormous gear. It's the effectiveness of, I believe, and I, I, I can't quote exactly the stats. If I were to have one chain ring and one cog to achieve the gear that I needed, it would have been a 300 tooth chain ring in the front, which of course would scrape the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it would have to be, I think, a 10 tooth cog in the back to achieve 
the 60-tooth chain ring to 12-tooth cog to another 60-tooth to another 12-tooth huh. um, cog. So that sort of – it's much like a pulley system. Yep. You know how if you have a big old bucket of concrete and you want to lift it up, if you mm-hmm. create a bunch of pulleys, you're able to do it. It's rather slow, but you're able to accomplish mm-hmm. pulling an entire bucket of concrete, which you'd never be able to pull yourself. Yeah. So same type of thing as we use this to make as maximum of a gear as possible. And each pedal revolution would go 138.5 feet oh. from – one pedal stroke, fully uh, full circumference. So that's with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just. It, and then I have a steering dampener on it, which uh, eliminates those speed wobbles. Okay. Um, in the event anything were to happen at higher speed, really, the faster I go, the straighter that front wheel is going to have mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we had some uh, this connect body float uh, suspension in the seat post. We had a mountain bike fork in the front. Um, you know, just a lot of elements in the bicycle. It's, it is bicycle componentry on everything except for the wheels. Okay. The wheels, because the speed that we're going, bicycle wheels are not going that fast, not to mention they're not 17 inch. So no. we use motorcycle rims and okay. motorcycle spokes and motorcycle tires because the tires need to be rated mm-hmm. for about 250 miles an hour, which they are. Yeah, that would make sense because I mean, that's about, I mean, the level of speed you're going to be at, that's kind of, that's where it's at. Where, you know, you went 184 this last year. Are you looking, you know, next year the, or, you know, to, to, to go back and try to beat that record again? Or are you, hey, I got the record now? Like, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm assuming, knowing the competitive nature, you're probably thinking, because I've seen from on Facebook that there's a few other people that are looking to try and go and attempt to break the same record. Um, what's the plan in the future for that? Yeah, um, it would follow that, you know, we went out there in 2016 and did a record and came back out in 2018. And, you know, usually um, the racers and people that are in cars, motorcycles and speed demons that on the salt flats generally are always going after that next record, the yeah. next record. Mm-hmm. Um, 2016 was a cakewalk in comparison to 2018 <laughs> as far as safety yeah. and just the, the risks we were taking. Mm-hmm. We had so many issues in 2018 that, um, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to see how really dangerous this was. And I'm really not willing to push it to the 200 mile an hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I'm going to allow somebody else to chase that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, you know, I, I want to, because in me, there's that element of, mm-hmm. I know I can push it again and again, but at what time, at what point do you push so much that you've pushed the envelope over the edge? Yeah, And, it's, and I just, it's, it's time to hang it up. Plus yeah. it was a six year long journey to get here. And wow. that was, there was a lot of sacrifices and I was ready for a break. Yeah. Oh, and I, I completely understand that. I mean, especially when, you know, at, at your speeds, any kind of uh there's a video, if you're interested in checking this out, we'll, we'll drop links to uh the Facebook group or the Facebook page, and you can see there's uh-huh. videos of it, of all the stuff going on. So if you're listening going, I want to see this. But, I mean, the video doesn't really give comparison to, like, how fast it is because you kind of – I mean, you see the sand flying in the distance, but when there's – you can't, like, you know, it's hard to judge how fast it is, but you kind of have that sense of, like, if you come out at all of the little, like, hut that you're in, like, it's kind of game over in a bad way because there's all of a sudden 183-mile-an-hour yes. wind pushing. Like, how do you – you know, like, I mean, I know you – I see like you're back. Is there any kind of other safety things? Like if something were to go wrong or is it basically like if you get off the like wave, you're surfing, like you talked about, it's basically hope to hang on or like kind of tuck and roll. 
Very true. And much like the surfers that are surfing the biggest wave in the world, there is that element of danger because mm-hmm. if you make a mistake and you go over the top end of that wave, boom, you're you're pretty much not going to survive. Yeah. Uh, if I were to go out the left or the right side of the air pocket, mm-hmm. it would probably not be a survivable thing because of the fact that I'd end up tumbling Yeah. Um, because that would rip left or rip right. Much like putting your hand out the window of your vehicle when you're going down the freeway at 100 miles an hour, it wants to take your hand and shove it back, but the rest of you is staying forward, uh, staying, mm-hmm. you know, not hitting the wind. That would be what it would be like to get out the left or the right side of the pocket. So mm-hmm. that would be very, very dangerous. And I had to buff it between those two sides of that air pocket significantly to stay upright on mm-hmm. the on these runs. Um, now, if I went out the back air pocket, I'd probably be able to survive. I'm guessing because I've, I've gone out the air, back end of the air pocket when I was the, with the Range Rover at 130, and it was a rough exit to be popped out the back end, but it was survivable. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing another maybe 10, 15 miles an hour, I'd be able to survive getting out the back end. But um, the other elements is I could have hit the fairing with my, both my um, my handlebar and my wheel, and wow. that would have taken me down right away. Jeez. The only thing I would hope for is that I would have fallen correctly and slid instead of tumbled because then I'd have a better better likelihood of surviving mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Oh. You're riding the unknown. Yeah. I've not, never gone down behind one of these vehicles going the speed. I've gone down in training rides and broken bones, but that's on the regular roads with a regular bike. But at these speeds, it's just, you know, you just, it, it, you don't know. Yeah. It, it literally, you're surfing that, le- that little, that edge between life and death. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I know from some of the, I mean, so I haven't had anyone as extreme as that on yet, but you know, there's kind of like that thrill and that's the exciting part. But I think it's important to you to know, like, Hey, we've made it this far, but we've also like, we're here. We made this far and talk about and did not try and push it and then end up having something bad happen on the, uh, how do you get slowed back down? I mean, you're going 183 miles on a bicycle. Most bicycle brakes are real small. Like, is it, you know, how does, how, what's the slowdown procedure like on that? Oh, that's an excellent question because that was actually of the entire thing. The most terrifying part was the deceleration. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is the way it occurs is one other element that's on the bicycle is I have a little push bar at the front that goes up and down. And the vehicle in the back fairing has a push bar, essentially a bump bar that goes left to right. So we, we we're perpendicular to each other. And so I can bump up against the back of that fairing and bounce off during during the actual record, once we hit the five mile mark, now it's time to decelerate. Well, how the deceleration occurs is I'm not using brakes. I'm using the vehicle in front of me to slow me down. And so what happens is Shay will let off the accelerator just enough to where I am firmly bumped up against the bump bar. Mm -hmm. And then she continues to decelerate over the next mile and a half, about 73 miles an hour, she scrubs off our speed so that I'm down to about 110. And if you watch the video, you'll see when I exit the air pocket, that's at 110 miles an hour. Oh. So that way I'm letting the air slow me down or the wind mm-hmm. slow me down after I've exited the air pocket from 110 down to basically 20 when I go and match up with my son in the SUV who's in the chase vehicle for me and I grab onto the passenger side he drives me off the course. Um, 
But the thing is, is I, I use a lot of analogies so that people can understand is just imagine being on the freeway and you're going 180 yeah. miles an hour with the car right in front of you doing 180. Now it's time to slow down, but you're not allowed to use your brake or your accelerator to adjust anything. You have to act, shove yourself into the car in front of you and let the car in front of you use their brake to slow you down. And all you can do is hold on to your steering wheel. Well, I'm holding on to a dang, you know, yeah. bars <laughs> with a single wheel hoping <laughs> that wheel continues to go straight because I'm shoved up, up in, into that vehicle. So it was a very lack of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about a little control, at least when I'm surfing that pocket of air in the back, I'm disconnected. Yeah. If I do something, it's as a result of my reaction. I can react forward, back, left, right, mm-hmm. you know, throw my knee, do this, pedal a little harder, pedal a little less. When I'm shoved up against the vehicle, I cannot do anything to adjust mm-hmm. except for try and stay upright. Mm-hmm. So that was the most terrifying part of the entire thing was the slowdown. Yeah, that is – I've because that's a little bit of the video. I was like, wow, that's – all of a sudden – there's nothing there. Now, are you I'm I'm assuming the communication between you and the driver is like the most important part. I would assume in like making sure everyone's on the same page. Is it radio communication or is it, you know, you know, hand, uh, I'm not that's guessing a wonderful not hand signals. assumption that we have radio. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking like there's got to be <laughs> Like a some kind of a... yeah, we should. That that would have been nice, but you know what? It was very difficult to be able to get the quality radio yeah. communication because we'd really have had to have had a push to talk oh, to yeah. have an open mic for that long of a mm-hmm. period of time for the high quality yeah. would have burned up a radio. Yeah. So true. for us, we needed to have push to talk, and then there's one more button for me to push in order to speak, and yeah. literally. I'm almost anaerobic when I'm doing this, so it's very hard for me to speak. Mm-hmm. So I can I can nod yes or I can nod no, and hopefully through these two little video cameras we have in the back and these two tiny screens that she has in the cockpit, she's able to see this blob, which is me, is still there. Um, and that's about it. Is She had visual on me on these two little screens, so she would be able to sense where I was at. Mm-hmm. But again, there's no suspension on this vehicle, so everything bouncing around mm-hmm. like you wouldn't believe and they're small screens and then on top of that the, she has five toggle switches on the steering wheel and th- those coordinate with five lights in the back of the fairing because i needed to know where mile marker one two three four and five were because mm-hmm. i needed to know a for where to release and b when we're done those are the two main mm-hmm. elements i need to know and so what we did was we used the we, when mile marker one would light up, I knew we were getting ready for release. Okay. And then she would pop mile marker five, which of course is out of order, but that meant you release because she was in charge of when I release because she needed to be prepared to change that trajectory of speed that she was doing because mm-hmm. she was going at least, you know, at least up to a hundred plus miles an hour in that very first mile. Uh-huh. And so if she kept that trajectory of how quick she was accelerating, We'd be going 500 by the time we hit mile marker five, right? Well, we aren't. So she has to adjust from that quick trajectory to one that I'm able to stay in the pocket as she continues to increase 40 to 50 more miles an hour while I'm disconnected. So that's why she dictates the release, which is that one light. Once that light goes out, then I'm watching light mile marker two and the light for mile marker three, the light for mile marker four while I'm in that pocket of air surfing it. And then when I hit this, when I see mile marker five, I'm prepared to shove up against that vehicle and I'm prepared that she's going to be slowing down. So that was the only communication was I had lights that she she had toggle switches to control and she had two video cameras that she could see me in these little screens 
Um, but I really have no way of talking to her yeah. at all. Yeah, I, I was almost going to jokingly say, like, what was there, lights? And, <laughs> like, yep. so that's – so this whole time, like, that I've been preparing for this and, like, talking about I I just totally stupidly assumed, like, there had to be, like, radios that, like, of all the things, the fact that you could do – that you two could have the same kind of mindset to know the run and, and only have three runs. I mean, yeah. if you're listening at home, that's the kind of crazy part we're discussing here. Three practice runs – or not three practice runs, three total runs at speed – no communication. Was there a lot of, did you guys do like, you know, practicing runs kind of like not on bikes, but just kind of like, here's what we're going to do. This is going to be this step. Like, so that way when everything happened, it was kind of like clockwork or was it kind of just let's, you know, from, from, from in 2016 when you did all the runs together. Yeah. Kind of, okay. <laughs> the biggest thing was the 2016 that we got into each other's heads. I guess that's the best way that I can really say is she knew what I was thinking and, and she could sense nuances okay. because she pulled me enough during the tow time and enough time, times where I was released. She could watch. Cause if you really watch, you can tell the difference in my, just the nuances, my knees flaring out. Mm-hmm. If my, if I'm pushing more down and I'm, I'm, I'm scrunched up more on the bike than it, than I'm up. You, she knows I'm working hard. I'm not working hard. I'm pushing hard. You know, she, she's able to read some of the very minor body language mm-hmm. um, issues and know where we're at. Okay. Um, and again, I don't know what and how well she was able to see those videos, but uh, with the video screens that she had. But the 17 runs that we did in 2016 were essential because it felt like the two years hadn't really gone by. Yeah. And we just sort of went out for another run. It just happened to be behind another vehicle. Yeah, just and so if we didn't have that in 2016, we it would have not been the third run for us to make this record. I'm telling you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have been a few extra, a few more, a few more of those passes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's crazy. So when you were talking a little bit, just, just to kind of reference, you were talking before about all the racing you did before this, like national championship. What kind of racing was that? As someone that's not into bike racing, was that like, like, you know, like cross country, like, racing or was it like on a track what kind of racing was uh, it just so we kind yeah. of know home when i was a junior i did pretty much everything but my absolute favorite was downhill mountain bike racing okay um so and that's where i got the silver in the world championship was on downhill mountain bike racing and that was my best thing i'm more of a sprinter by nature okay so for me Going up hills and doing long distance is not my forte, which actually fits well for this record because it's a lot of surging of, and it's a short two and a half minutes from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So uh, so for me, uh, that, that was my favorite. And then when I got back into it as a master, so when I was a junior, downhill mountain bike racing, got into back into bike or bicycle racing in my 40s, and I was a criterium racer, which is where they do a one – like a one mile loop and usually a downtown streets and you have a big pack and the idea is to be the first one across the line when that when it's the end of the race which a lot of times will end up being the whole pack stays together generally and then there's a sprint at the end okay. everybody's trying to attack and get away during it but then you have teammates that pull them back in and it's a high 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 paced um uh 
a race, but that sprint at the end is where I really had it. And so that's where I won two national championships in a row doing this uh, criterium. But it also those cornering and being so close to other other bicycles, that's a very highly bicycle handling skill mm-hmm. necessary. A lot of people, they don't even want to get into that because it's dangerous. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's one thing we, we, we talk a lot with like dirt track racers and they're in like, you know, 3000 pound cars when they're, you know, side by side. But you are on a bike and you <laughs> there's with no... a thin piece of Lycra. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, oh, hey, you know, there's you're not in a roll cage. You're... <laughs> yeah. So that is that's that's crazy. That's what I kind of want to get to too, kind of like what you're are you going to be still doing like that? Or are you kind of hanging the bike up like it's been fun? Yeah. But... <laughs> I hung the bicycle up as far as the six years of planning and preparation and the training and the sacrifices are so much that I, I was burned out a little bit. And mm-hmm. so I just, no. I, um, one thing that I did before, uh, right before I got back in, on the bicycle was doing some running. And so I'm getting back into doing a little of that. I'm going to knock out a few half marathons for fun. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not <laughs> a competitive half marathoner. <laughs> um, I enjoy the time of just getting out there and running. So I'm just switching it up a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I was joking. I said, I took 23 years off between, my last bicycle race and my first bicycle race as a master, I said, you know what I might do is take another 23 years off and come back as a senior <laughs> and start taking records again. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's, that's what it worked before, but that's, that's awesome. Um, so what, if people are more interested in kind of the, the record attempt and what, you know, kind of other ways to follow what you're doing, you know, and kind of seeing all the history of what, what would be the best way to find that stuff? Well, we do have a website, which is theprojectspeed.com, okay. and that will link to all of our social media okay. and the YouTube channel and what have you. But the but the best place that we really keep up the most up to date is on Facebook, all right. and that is if you just look at um, and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are same thing as at FireCycle spelled normally um out fire cycle is how you'd be able to track and see everything that's going on. But our YouTube channel is Project Speed Denise. All right. Well, I will put links. There should be links in the description awesome. if I do all of my due diligence, which I, I'm going to huh. do. <laughs> this, so yeah. there'll be links in the description, so make sure to check those out. If you're if you're hearing this, you want to see the videos. I really encourage you. If you don't do anything else, check watch the video of the record run because it is insane. I've showed some people in the last couple of weeks, and we've been talking, trying to set up the time to to do the interview. I've been showing them. I was like, oh, someone I'm talking to, check this out, and, and they're always just like mouse hits the floor. There's a few times a day we've been talking. I'm like. Mouse hitting the floor, like, how does that, huh? <laughs> you know? Yep. So if you haven't checked it out, you really should because it's something that it's like nothing else. You know, I can explain, you know, it's sometimes, you, I mean, if you like our listeners, you know that I've explained other motorsports and other sports and tried to dumb it, like, you know, kind of fill it down. This is literally riding behind, like what all of us dumb kids did in high school with our skateboards and bicycles. Like, imagine that behind a vehicle, but going 183. <laughs> Yeah. We would do it on like city streets at like twenty and think we were like super cool. <laughs> so that is Denise. Thanks for um, as we're kind of wrapping things up. Thanks for coming on. It was really fun to talk, and it's one of those things. Like I said, I always like finding the cool different sports that are kind of out there, and I love hearing your story. That you know you did this as a kid, you got back into it, after, you know, and brought your family. Sounds like you brought your family along with it. So that's awesome yep. that you know they were able to experience that with you and kind of see. 
And I mean, you talked a little bit. I mean, is there any aspirations in in them that they're trying looking into getting a bicycle racing at all, or any kind of any kind of things like this? Are they? No, a little too early to see. They're, my my boys are twenty four, twenty three, and eighteen, and they've okay. done their own little sort of routes in life. But yeah, uh, no, getting on a bike hasn't been appealing to them yet. <laughs> Not yet. Well, they've probably been like, I'm never going to be good as my mom, and I can't. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> and I can't be like, yeah, I ride a bicycle. Like, yeah, but your mom broke the record. Like. Ooh, like what are you gonna there's never gonna be there's always gonna be there but that is these thanks for again thanks for coming on thanks for telling your story again if something your dreams and your ch- and the things you're going after might not be going 184 on a bicycle but whatever they are they're there i mean you took 23 years off and suddenly came back and broke a record that had been basically set if i'm doing my math right like the first record that was set like in 95 was about the time you stopped racing right I, I quit racing in 1991 was my last full season, okay. so 92. So 92. Okay, so, but around the, I mean, almost the time, if you think about, like, it was closer to the time that you quit racing was the last record that you broke versus when you went, when you actually attempted it. That's what I'm trying to say, that you can go back to your dreams. I don't know. I'm rambling. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all good. But uh, one, one thing to, good to note is this is an obscure, unusual type record, but it has been done since... Um, 1899. So it actually oh. spans three centuries where these this the records have been done in three different centuries, which is pretty cool. That is cool. I didn't realize it went back that far. I just kind of assumed it was something kind of more recent. Like in 1899, it was like, you know, probably behind like a steamboat or something, you know. It but- was actually behind a train of all things. And it was actually a promotion for the railroad, the Long Island Express train. Huh. And it ended up this promotion of having a cyclist draft behind the train and go 60 miles an hour, which is Charles Mile and then at Murphy, um, which is now what he became. He actually instigated this whole unique record as a result of that one promotional so that that's 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 crazy that a promotional stunt turned into which even then 1899 going 60 mile an hour that's insane i mean there were times where they thought if you went over 30 you couldn't breathe so right (laughs) yeah the the thought process of that is is pretty cool well again denise thanks for coming on there'll be links in the description for everything i really encourage you if you're listening and you want to check it out more check those out there are some people that are looking to do in this record next year so if it's something you want to kind of follow along and see what's going on there's links. Uh, you'll, you'll find all that stuff there. Again, Denise, thanks for coming on. This is Bibster and the Ginger Podcast. We are not – it's not going to be a month for the next episode. I promise you that. On that note, bye. <laughs> oh, there we go. Hmm? Oh, geez, stop.